0: Uh, thanks for making it out this morning. We do appreciate you being here and, uh, and trying out this live church in-person thing. For some of you I've talked to this week, this is the, the first time in months that you've set foot uh, in uh, this church or talked to real-life human beings in person. So congrats. It's awesome. So uh, anyways, uh, we are kicking off a brand-new series today called Advent. It's a series we do every year um, because Advent is uh, typically that season of time, right, leading up to Christmas, the four Sundays before Christmas. If you grew up in a liturgical church, you know all about that. Every year we try and do talk about Christmas, because Christmas is fun to talk about, Um, and also, but then like take a kind of a unique angle on it, Um, and so that's kind of what we're going to be doing today. We titled the subtitle, A Series on Nostalgia. Um, In Jewish history, the tabernacle was the place that you would go to be close to God. Uh, The tabernacle would be kind of a temporary setup. Eventually, that would become the temple, but in both places, tabernacle and temple, the mentality was it's a physical place where heaven and earth meet. They would say that you're closer to God in the moments that you're there. That dirt is somehow sacred. This is the closest place that you'll ever uh, get to God, and that's easy for us to understand because if you've ever been to like Wrigley Field, Fenway Park, or like Magnolia Silos, or Chick-fil-A, or whatever, you've turned to whoever you came with, and you said, We are on hallowed ground here, aren't we? Right? Do you realize where we are? We are closer to God in this moment. Uh, than we ever have been before. Sacred space is always uh, familiar to us. That's why when you go to big cities and you see big cathedrals, you wanna go in for a tour or you go to ancient Rome and you wanna go see all the different places. We walk into these expansive cathedrals and there's a sacred reverence the moment we set foot in there. We stop talking loudly. We start talking quietly. We hush our kids up. We, we look around. We feel like we went to church and it's like a Tuesday afternoon, right? And, and no service was held. But the sacredness of the moment And the space really kind of communicates to us a certain reverence. The Jewish tradition expanded not only sacred place, but also sacred time. So they said in space, not just physical proximity space, but space in terms of the the, uh, occupancy of, of time. You were never closer to God than during Sabbath Um, They would take that 24-hour period between sundown on Friday and sunset on on Saturday evening. And that time was spent for the best food, the best meals of the week were typically eaten during that time. Uh, Leisure, family, most importantly, no work. And they would say that that is as close to we get to the divine as what we do the other six days of the week. So in the same way that you would say, you know, this space is sacred, they would say that space is sacred. That's why they took it so um, personally, you've, you, you, know, you walk into a big, giant cathedral, and your kids start screaming, and you say, no running in church, or no screaming in church, or no cussing in church, right? Like you brought your friend, and they're just like, wow, this is blank, blank, wet. and you're like, dude, you're in church, man. You don't, you don't do that. Um, and in the same way, it would be like, we don't work. We don't do this kind of stuff. This is, this is sacred time for us. Time and space, both can be sacred. And in church history, uh, the wisdom of the age is an attempt to get us to remember that both can be sacred. Um, It's easy for us to remember that kind of space. It's a little bit harder that time might be sacred. And so the church came up with what was known as a liturgical calendar. Um, And for them, the church calendar year started in the end of November, early December, the four Sundays leading up to whatever Christmas uh, Sunday was there. And this would be the time that would be sacred kind of Moments in this way Oops, sorry um, we have a I think we have a picture of the liturgical calendar to kind of show you a, a little bit about what this looks like At the very top of the dial 12 o'clock Advent Christmas then we go through a period called ordinary time Lent leads up to Easter Easter's a, a long celebration of this and then we get through a long period of ordinary time so if you're if we were if we were a, a church that did sort of these kind of things so Anglican Episcopalian uh, Lutheran sometimes uh, Catholic for sure um, my text my talks would be centered around some sort of a liturgical calendar. This is what you talk about in ordinary time. This is what you talk about at Lent. This is what you talk about at Easter. And it would be sort of repetitive. And they have like a three or four year plan. So it's not like every year I hear the same thing. Um, And by four years, you forget what I talked about. So it doesn't matter, right? Uh, I've forgotten what I talk about like on Thursday. So it doesn't matter. All of that kind of works out. Um, This would be their way of saying this is a reminder that this is sacred uh, time. Along this same line of reasoning, we are closer In this sort of formation of time, we are closer to the original Christmas during the season of Advent than we are at any other point in the year. And I know that that doesn't work out chronologically, because time frustratingly operates in a one-way dimension. Um, But in the mindset, chronologically, even though we were closer to Christmas, uh, the original Christmas yesterday than we are today, um, in in a sense, we are more in tune with the original Christmas during this season than we were five years ago, ten years ago, you know, in July or whatever, than, than right now. This is, this is it. So what does it mean to be closer to the original Christmas event? It means that during this time, during these months or weeks or whatever leading up to this Christmas holiday, we're more likely to be attuned to generosity, innocence, and agape or perfect love, all of the things associated with the incarnation of God for the benefit of mankind. Somebody would come and, and, you know, become present, become one of us to then save us than at any other time during the typical calendar year. We perceive things more during this time of year than any other point in the year. This is why nonprofits do their asks in December and not June. You know what I mean? Um, This is why they're Giving budgets typically triple. Conditions are ripe for the picking in that way. One of those conditions uh, that we are more attuned to uh, during this season than most months of the year is one that I'd like to pay attention to over the next couple of weeks as we get into Christmas. This idea of nostalgia. It's a series on nostalgia. Is there a more nostalgic time of year than Christmas time? On kind of our everyday calendar, I, I, I almost never rewatch a movie. Uh, it's not really part of um, like my psyche. I don't if I've watched it once, like that's good enough for me. Which is tough because uh, this is this is why Blu-ray and DVD purchases never really made any sense for me. Um, they're not really wise purchases. I'd, still, I'd go to Costco sometime and be like, "It'd be nice to have that on hand. I'll probably watch that a couple times." And then it just I never do. Um, so and I'm, and if you have a large DVD collection, I'm not judging you. I'm just Have you watched him in a while? Or is this like a one time for, you know, think about that next time you go. Whatever, it doesn't matter. Um, There is a couple of obvious exceptions. Most notably, last night we watched National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation for the, um, and I was trying to do the math on it. I'm 37. I don't know what the appropriate age is to start watching that movie. We were actually dialoguing about this last night. We have a 12-year-old and we're like, is it now? Mm, I don't know. Uh, So maybe like 16, so 37 minus 16 years old. I probably watched it 21 times in a row once a year, every year, around this time. Um, And it was glorious, and it always is. When Chevy Chase falls through the attic, there is, I know it's coming, and it's cinematic perfection every time. And I giggle and I laugh like it was the first time that I watched it. And now you're gonna go home and wanna watch this movie. Right now you're elbowing your wife or husband and saying, we need to watch that movie. It's been a while since we've, or no, we actually just watched it last week, right? You're a week behind, whatever. And if it's not funny to you, by the way, Uh, and you feel obliged to tell me how not great of a movie it is, like, save your emails. That is unfriending material and unblocking material right there. So just, that's fine. I don't care, but I uh, keep it. There have been times, though, have you noticed that when you do go back sometimes... And watch something that has been nostalgic for you, and you thought, that was great. I remember that just being awesome. And then you go back, and it wasn't as great as the first time that you watched it. Like, the nostalgia has this weird pull for us sometimes. We go back and be like, the movie wasn't actually that good. And that's what you're saying about National Lampoon's. And I'm like, that's wrong. You're wrong on that one. But there are times. I would concede that there are times. uh, And maybe it was so bad you decided not to watch it ever again. Or maybe you know it's sad, but you still, and it's sad or bad or whatever, but you still find yourself drawn to it. Like, my wife watches The Family Stone. I'm like, it's not good. And she's like, I watch it every year. Whatever. Anyways. It's a longing to return to something. Nostalgia is a longing to return. In fact, the, the, the word comes from an, uh, like a Greek background. A Greek etymology shows you that nostalgia is the combination of two words, one being algeo, which is pain or ache, and ache or a longing for something, and nasta is to return. So nostalgia is a, an ache to return to something. Uh, so the working definition for this series is simply this, the ache to turn back home. And so I ask again, is there a time of the year that we are more uh, prone to feel and ache to return to something than at Christmas. Christmas is all about returning home, right? We're home for the holidays. We, we, we want to go back to a little bit more of a simpler life, and in a year like this, like, I just want to go back to quote-unquote normal in this way, right? We ache for something. In um, one of the most famous stories of all time, Homer was a Greek philosopher who wrote an epic called The Odyssey, and you read it probably in high school or middle school, and you've forgotten some of the premise of it, but that's okay, me too. Um, Odysseus is stranded on a deserted island, but he's not alone. He's there with a goddess. Her name is Calypso, and she's beautiful, and she spends all of her time just enjoying life. Um, and loving on him like she might love a favorite pet. The goddess is kind. She has promised him much more than her loyalty. He's not going to age as long as he's with her. Perpetual youth, utter security uh, on a beautiful island with a beautiful goddess who loves him and takes him into her bed every night. Plenty of good food, wine, and peace. And yet he so badly wants to leave. This is a picture, a famous picture of him longing for home while all of the things and the extravagancies of life are being offered to him now. And the question is, why does he want to go home? What's so special about that place? Is it his wife that's there? And it goes to long accounts to be like she's not as beautiful as Calypso. There's a hundred suitors there, kind of fighting for her love. There's it's not a son who's he's disengaged with. It's not it's not the land. Is it the land? Is there something special about that land? It's not even that great a land. It's really hard to farm. There's not a, not a great way to sustain animals. What makes his heart yearn to see it again? Odysseus wants to go home because it's his home and it's as simple as that. And the story makes sense to us even all of these years later because we get that. Around this time of year, we find, and some of you are going to travel for Christmas. You're going to get on a plane. You're going to get in a car. You're going to go visit people. You're going to go back to a hometown that's small. It's different than you remember. It's not great. You're going to sleep in a house. You're going to do this kind of stuff. And we, we, but it feels like home. We go, it's just, it's home. It's not great. But it's home, it's where I belong, it's my place, it's my people, it's whatever. We sing the song, oh, there's no place like home for the holidays. And how many Christmas movies have plot lines of people simply trying to get home? That's like the plot line of 75% of Hallmark movies. Do you know that? That's scientific, guys. Anyways, in the story of the uh, prodigal son, a famous story, um, that Jesus tells about lost things in Luke chapter 15. He talks about a lost coin, a lost sheep, and in the middle of that, a lost son. And so the story goes, I won't read the whole thing for you, but in verse 12, it says, so the father divided the property between them. The son comes up to him and says, I, I want to go and do my own thing. I want independence from you. Um, I want my inheritance now. I don't want to wait for you to die. Would you just, like, give me whatever you'll give me now? And so his father just divides up the property. He goes off into a distant land. He begins to squander it all in this kind of extravagant sort of living. The story goes, and it's a made-up story to kind of communicate a point, but a famine comes, as it always does, right? Whenever you go and do things you, and you live in this certain way, oh, we couldn't have planned for this. He couldn't have planned for this. Of course you can't. Like, that's how life works sometimes, a famine comes, he finds himself out of money, uh, out of friends, because his friends no longer want to hang out with him when they're, he's not able to provide all of the tools that they need to have fun together. And he finds himself working for somebody in his pigsty, managing his pigs, which is a, uh, a topic in and of itself. He's working with the animals that are so below, like, you know, Jews and, and pigs, that was a, we don't touch them, we don't eat them, we don't do anything with them. And he, it's communicating he's hit rock bottom. This is the best way for the author or the story or the, the, the kind of sort of communicate absolute rock bottom. Um, he was so hungry in verse 16. He was so hungry he would have eaten the corn cobs and the pig slop, but no one would give him any. The pigs wouldn't even share. Verse 17, that brought him to his senses. He said, all those farmhands working for my father sit down to three meals a day, and here I am starving to death. Oh, to go home. Oh, to go back to where I belong. He makes a decision then and there. I'm going to go back to my father. I'll say to him, Father, I've seen he rehearses this whole spiel he's going to do. I don't deserve to be called your son. Take me on as a hired hand. He got right up and he went home to his father. Like this longing to go home. I thought the peace that I would find would be somewhere out there. And I had all the money and all the resources to go do that. And then I went and I experienced it. And now I'm reaping the ramifications of my decisions, and all I want to do is go home. The place that I said was horrible, i never come back here, I'm going to leave, I hate the Tri-Cities, I'm never coming back to this place. And then I want to start a family, I want to come home, I just want to come home, right? And we just, it's, it's, it's weird that this black hole gravitational pull towards home is so ingrained in us. We all long for a home. Jesus, with his disciples, um, sits them down for a meal and uh, begins to talk about encoded language, what's about to happen to them, so that once it happens, they'll reflect back on how did we not catch the hints, how did we not hear this was happening. And he's, he's saying, I'm going to a place, and where I'm going, you can't follow me there. And they're like, we'll follow you anywhere you go. What are you talking about? And he goes, "Now nah, I'm going to my father's house. And where I'm going, you cannot follow, but I'm going, just know this, I'm going there to prepare a place for you. A place for you, and that's really what we want. When this nostalgia comes, we want a place, a place to belong, a place where we can be us, a place where we're known and know other people. One of the big heartaches of this 2020 pandemic has been the removal, sometimes, of place. Now you're working from home; you don't have the community that you had there. You used to go to the gym all the time and have all kinds of stuff there. Now you know that's taken away from you, and then uh, and then all of the there's 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 no. And you're like, well, your place should be your your home. That's nice to hear, and and hopefully that that, that is a reminder, and this might be a good, healthy reminder to make your home a place. But we feel tangibly this absence of place. Like, I don't have a place right now. (laughs) I'm just kind of like, I don't know, lingering, right? We long for a place. We're nostalgic for home. That's why we get in a plane, as I mentioned, or a car or whatever. We pack up four kids and all the junk it takes to keep them alive and entertained, and we drive over a pass that occasionally forces us to put chains on our vehicle, all to spend two or three days with people who vote differently than us, spend money differently than us, allow their kids to watch shows we don't allow ours to watch, all because they're family, and this is home, and this is our place. And it's not much to look at. The bathrooms are too small because the house was built by your grandfather in the 50s. It's cold in the basement and the stairs are too steep for little kids, but dang if it doesn't feel like home, right? C.S. Lewis writes about something like this, but from a unique reverse angle, because as much as at Christmas time we can feel the nostalgic of our past and and remind us that this is going forward, there's also a sense in which that can be reversed and we are nostalgic for a longing for something. the word that he uses that he shows up with and and, and writes about is a German word that shows up in several of his writings. It's "sensucht," which is basically seeking to see again. Seeking to see again. It has a going back thing, but it also has a a reverse looking forward. I just want to see it again. I want to go back in the same way um, that if you... I went to Newport this week with my dad to go crabbing. I haven't been to Newport, like Oregon, in I don't know how many years Guys, the downtown's basically the same. It's it's uh, Ripley's, believe it or not, still happening. Crazy. Unbelievable. Uh, remember the underwater aquarium? That's gone. That is the one change because they built this really nice one across the river. But you walk down there, and there, it's that feeling of, I just want to see. We, we're staying in a hotel a little further away, and our plan was not to go down there. And there was something in me that's like, I just want to walk that road again. I want to see the taffy shops and the little stupid trinket stores that nobody ever buys anything from. And, and I want to smell dead raw fish from all of the canneries. I want that smell to kind of get in my clothing. I want it to be, uh, that's when I know that I'm really, I'm back. I want to seek to see again, right? This longing to go see it once again. He writes about uh, this feeling, describes it in case we haven't been able to kind of put, if, if Newport, Oregon doesn't put like, you know, a body on that sort of feeling for you. He says, It's like that unnameable something, that desire for which pierces us, like a rapier or a knife or whatever, at the smell of a bonfire, the sound of wild ducks flying overhead, the morning cobwebs in late summer, or the noise of falling waves. At some point, you get it and you understand. I, I get what he's trying to say there. A nostalgia that faces towards the future, a longing for something to go back to to see again that thing that I've been chasing, chase, 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 chase. And in mere Christianity, he writes this, and I love this. This has been something that I've in the I could quote this from memory. It's been in the back of my mind. It sits on a post-it note in my office. If I find my, in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If I find myself longing for something for which I can't seem to find it in the everyday life of my go-to things, right? Or if I, if I, if I constantly seek to see again and, and I go there and it's just like, Newport was fine, but it's, it, didn't, it didn't create those feelings for, it didn't satisfy anything. Then perhaps I was created for a different world. Nostalgia Christmas makes us long for the past, but there's a longing as well that goes for the future. And what is it that we're chasing this way? The desires that spring up in us, those of love, safety, security, belonging, are never truly satisfied in this life. Rather, they're pointers to this other place, this another spot, this location, this place, this belonging, this home, this whatever, somewhere inaccessible to us now. We know, like the forward-facing nostalgia of Sensuk, this feeling points us towards If you're a Christian, what I believe is like this heavenly home for which we were created, this other spot, this other place. And this sort of feeling shows up in the nostalgia that we sing about when we sing Christmas carols. On on Christmas Eve, you're going to show up, and uh, because I feel like it's so centralized on singing, Christmas Eve is about like carols in community with one another, um, and reliving the Christmas story in that way. Um, we're doing it outside in the parking lot, as, we, as I mentioned, because we can't sing in here. And so, because of government stuff. And so we got to go out there to do it, but that's fine. We're going to make this thing work and we're going to sing these songs. And in the middle of these songs is going to be this forward-looking nostalgia. Let me, let me read to you a few lyrics of some of the song. I'm not going to sing them for you because like, I, I charge for that usually. So I'm not going to, I don't want to do that. I'm just kidding. That's not true. It's horrible. That's why I don't want to do it. It's taped. Anyways, uh, so, but listen to these Christmas carols and the words that are forward-looking this way. Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Celebrating that which has come, which satisfy, satisfies some of the needs, but also like this yearning, this pining, this new and glorious morn that we are anticipating as a result of the incarnation of Christ in this world. When we sing this song, whether you know it or not, when it's playing on the radio in your car and you're driving wherever it is that you're driving, it's teaching us, it's forming inside of us this longing, this yearning to go, yeah, you know, this world doesn't satisfy all of these needs. Like, my heart does yearn for a time when it won't be, the pain won't be as acute, as felt, as, as I feel it here. This dissatisfaction that's every time we get through the year, it's like it was good, it was really good, but like it just makes me yawn, yearn for a purer form of joy of Christmas. Or this one, O little town of Bethlehem. How still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. Yet in thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. The hopes and fears of all of the years are met in thee tonight. Placing this hope of all of the things that we've stressed about, we are hopeful that it's met in Christ coming to earth and making God known to us in the most pure, crystallized form that we could ever possibly know. Or, or perhaps maybe this one. I don't want to miss out on the holiday, but I can't stop staring at your face. I should be playing in the winter snow, but I'm gonna be under the mistletoe. With you, shorty with you. With you, shorty with you. With you under the mistletoe. Granted, it's a little hard to make out in that last one, but I think you get it. So, I'll move on. <laughs> and that was Justin Bieber, by the way. Uh, as the nostalgia of Christmas, which is palpable during this time. The nostalgia of Christmas is physically almost tangible, right? It encourages us to, uh, us to long for home. May we, as we are shaped by the repetitiveness of this messaging throughout this Month season also tap into a longing or a forward looking sort of desire or craving for nostalgia for a new and glorious morn, a place where the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee. May we be the type of people who, when we are reminded of the current nostalgia of the past, oh, if we could just celebrate the Christmas past, yes. But there's also in that, too, a reminder for us of the longing for a new and glorious morn where the hopes and fears of all the years are met through the incarnation of God through the person of Jesus, who we celebrate, who we learn from, who we try and pattern our life after. That, guys, that is a forward-facing nostalgia and a great way of looking at Christmas. So we're going to take the next couple of weeks and build upon that and figure out more of how that nostalgia piece works for us, let's pray. Father, our prayer is that as we do uh, sing songs, watch movies, hear stories, hear commercials, or whatever, or whatever uh, are pressed towards uh, the nostalgia of Christmas, may that we also remind it. May there be like a, a light bulb that goes off in our brain that yes, nostalgia for the past, but also a longing for the hope that is represented through the story of Christmas, through the person of Jesus. So give us the wisdom to know what that looks like in our life, the to act on it. In your name.